Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 56, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. The Lord says, act justly and do what is righteous, because my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. Happy is the one who does this, the person who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not making it impure and avoids doing any evil. Do not let the immigrant who has joined with the Lord say, the Lord will exclude me from the people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. The Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, choose what I desire and remain loyal to my covenant. In my temple courts, I will give them a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an enduring name that will not be removed. To the immigrants who have joined me, serving me and loving my name, becoming my servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath without making it impure, and those who hold fast to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and bring them joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their entirely burned offerings and sacrifices on my altar. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples, says the Lord God who gathers Israel's outcasts. I will gather those, still others, whom I have already... <laughs> I will gather still others to those I have already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I'm taking a little break from Romans today, you may have noticed. Uh, but this text is, is a very interesting one. And, and just by way of introduction to Isaiah, since we haven't been there... Um, Isaiah is a very interesting book. It starts off with some pretty harsh condemnation of the people of Israel. If, if you recall in Isaiah, um, the prophet goes into the temple of the Lord and he experiences the almighty presence of the mighty God and he shakes in fear and, and he is cleansed. And then God says, who will go for us? Whom will we send? And Isaiah says, yes, that's me. I'd like to go. God, let me be your witness. And then God tells Isaiah, you're going to go to tell this people. And basically there's this long and prolonged oracles of judgment against the people of Israel. I mean, I mean, things were, were bad when, when it comes to like the first half of the book of Isaiah, things are bad. They're, they're just overwhelming bad. God, God comes to the people and says, this is what I have against you. These are the ways in which you are not doing justice. And, and there's promise of exile and, and, and land that is laid waste and people taken out of the land. I mean, it is bleak and it is dark. But the book of Isaiah takes a turn about halfway through. About halfway through the book, it takes a turn away from kind of that doom and gloom and just overwhelming, impressing judgment on the people and exile and, and bad news to this, this turn of, of hope, of hope of return, of hope that, that God will again restore God's people. It, it's in the, these, these chapters in, in like the 50s that, that we hear God say to God's own people, right, I'll, I'll bring you back. And I'll send you a, a, a suffering servant, right? Pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. Like this, this promise that, that there is redemption and that there is return for the people of Israel. And that's good news. And, and that's where we kind of land ourselves today. We're, we're out of the judgment. We're out of the, the anger of you need to do this and, and you haven't done this and you've profaned this, all that sort of stuff. And, and we're moving in to the good stuff that's the wrong way of putting it. The good news of Isaiah. And so that's just some context to where we are. Now, I want to get into what this picture says. So, so 
Many of you know that before I came to Washington State, I, I lived in Eagle River, Alaska. Eagle River, Alaska is a smallish community that's kind of a bedroom community to Anchorage, Alaska. And, and there's lots of churches in Eagle River, Alaska. It's really like it's small. And, and in my particular case, I, I, I served a, a smallish Nazarene church, um, kind of off the main drag. But right across the street from us was um, the kind of the biggest Catholic church. Uh, certainly in Eagle River, but, but in, in the area around us. Um, St. Andrew's Catholic Church. And, and literally, I could sit in my office, at least in the first kind of half of the time that I lived in Eagle River, and look out my window and see the St. Andrew's Catholic Church. Right, So I'd be sitting there Sunday morning, and our parking lot would be here, and I'd be watching it fill up, and then I'd watch their parking lot fill up. And so being neighbors, I, I, I went to kind of tried to go to some lengths to get to know the, the priest over there. Um, because I, I'm, I like all kind of natures and all flavors of the faith of Christianity. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Catholic Church. I'm a big fan of other churches because none of us have it right. We all have it a little bit wrong. And as we get together, we, we figure things out together better. Right? I'm, I'm ecumenical in that way. That's the big word for putting it. I remember... One time, right, right as um, the Catholic Church was moving from their old building into their new one. This was, this was St. Andrew's Catholic Church. Impressive. Jewel of the diocese. And I remember I was having a meeting with, with their priest one day. And we were just talking and I was trying to get to know him. And, and we were conversing back and forth about, uh, you know, church and about, particularly about communion. I, I, I like to visit other churches. I like to experience worship in other places. Um, again, it, it just about anywhere. If I, I just like to experience how other people besides me, besides our community, worships. Um, I am particularly drawn to, to liturgy, and the Catholic Church has a great liturgy. And so I was talking to the priest one day about, um, you know, I'd like to come visit the church. I'd like to, to experience a mass with you. But, but I know that, um, that the Catholic Church has some interesting thoughts about sharing in communion if you're not Catholic, if you're not confirmed Catholic. And so I was talking to the, to, the, to the priest, and I was saying, you know, I would like to come over, and, you know, I just want to let you know that I'd be coming, and so what would you like me to do? So some, some priests will let you take communion, some won't. Um, and so we were talking about it, and, and, and I said, you know, what would happen if I were to come to celebrate Mass with you? What would you like me to do, right? I want to do what you would like me to do, and if you want me to just stay seated and keep quiet, I'll do that. If you want me to come up and whatever. And, and so we were talking about it, and, and he, he told me the, the stance of the Catholic Church. The stance of the Catholic Church is that, that Catholic Church and the Nazarene Church aren't in communion with one another, which means we don't, they don't share communion with us, okay? This is not Catholic bashing. I just want you to know that. I'm just telling you the story. It's not necessarily about them, but it's about how I felt when he told me that. Now, we, we talked about it, and he's like, you know, I believe you're a Christian. I believe you're saved, all that sort of stuff, but, but we're not in communion with one another. And so, so he said, well, we can look forward to the day in which we will gather at the heavenly banquet and all sit together and be in communion with one another, which is a great and wonderful vision, by the way. Right? Uh, the, the church of Christ, fractured as it is, united together at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it gives me chills. But you know how it feels when someone says you're excluded. I understand the reasons that they exclude me. I, I get it. I, I'm not entirely sure that they're wrong by excluding. Like that, that's not the issue. The issue was how I felt when I was worshiping. And I did go to that church more than once. And 
how it felt when I worshiped at that church. And the time came up to celebrate what I believe is the central right and act of the church together. Like this is how I confess my faith most fully and completely and receive grace from God. How I felt to know that I wasn't a full participant with them at that time. Again, this is not an anti-Catholic. I'm not bashing Catholics. It hurt not to have full inclusion. It, it hurt to be acknowledged as a Christian, to be acknowledged as saved, but not to be able to participate in the full nature of what, again, my opinion, masses are beautiful. The liturgy is beautiful. And to not to participate, to be only a half participant, to be someone who was accepted, but only just to a certain extent, it hurt. It hurt. There was another instance. This is um, St. John's Orthodox Church. So that if the Catholic Church was on one side of me, St. John's was a little bit north of me. And I remember, uh, it's a very interesting story about this particular Orthodox Church. This was a, a church that was basically started by some Camps Crusade people. Um, a bunch of evangelicals who got together and in the mid-70s decided we, don't want, to, we, we want to be orthodox. And so they, they in mass, as their, as their church, they converted to orthodoxy from kind of an evangelical tradition. Fanta- fascinating story. Very interesting. Wonderful story. But I remember I was having a conversation with the priest of this particular church. And, and we were talking and we were joking. Uh, I think we were talking about Easter. Um, and if you don't know, the Orthodox Church has a different calendar than everybody else when it comes to religious calendars. So like we serve, we, so, we celebrate Easter on a particular day and they per- celebrate it on a different day, right? And, and this is just because we have two different calendars, but I, I was joking around with the priest. We were talking and, and you know, just kind of joking around. I said, well, you know, you guys have your Easter later. And he said, yeah, well, one day you will see the truth and you will realize that we're right, right? This is not orthodox bashing. It was a joke that he made, but I could not help but feel just a little bit left out. Like that it, 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 it made me feel in the church this, this sort of tension that often exists between different traditions. Now, there are people who will say things like this about the Nazarene church, so let's just be honest, right? Um. But it, it, it reveals something, and, and it revealed in me like the, the tension that often exists in churches where we see people from other, faith, other traditions, right? Um, whether it be we, as evangelicals, might look at, at people from mainline traditions or, or Orthodox or Catholic, whatever, and, and we see them as Christian, just not quite as Christian as we are. Or, or we might invite people to participate, but, but there is tension because, because they can participate just only so far until we say, yeah, that's the limit. Because of this, that, or the other thing. And there's a thousand different reasons why we choose to do that. With, with me and the Orthodox, again, it was a joke about the calendar, right? It's small, it's insignificant, larger scheme of things. But, it, but I felt the, the tension there of we, we, were, we were a part of one another and yet not quite. Where I didn't quite full, feel like a full participant in, in, in their worship. And I suspect they wouldn't have felt as a full participant in mine. There is this tension that we celebrate this good news, but the question always is, is it good news for who? And in our particular text today, like I said, we we have this shift in Isaiah. 
as he's talking to the people of Israel, this people who has been exiled from their land. So, so let's just, like the context of it is, is, if we're talking like historical time, the words that Isaiah speaks in this particular passage of scripture is words to people who are currently living in exile. Right? It's not people who are living fat and happy. It's not sort of the pre-exile people in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. He is talking to people who have been, who have really lost everything. And again, depending on which timeline you go with, I, I'm not going to get too much into that. But, but we're probably thinking that they have been in exile for a significant amount of time. They are sitting in Babylon or wherever else they may be. And, and they are hearing these words from the prophet Isaiah saying, there is return. Right? If, you, if you seek justice, there is return, there is wholeness, there is restoration. And the people of Israel have been, have been hearing this and, and have been just rejoicing in it as they should. But, but the question always remains, it's good news, but is it good news really for everyone who's feeling left out in this particular case? Right, Isaiah speak these words and, and people are celebrating, people are rejoicing, people are saying, yes, God is good. Yes, God will restore us, right? Joy comes in the morning, all that sort of stuff. And yet the question is, will the old new world be like the old one? With the same people who are left out, with the same people who are participants, but not full participants, in this particular case, what Isaiah does is he, he, he singles out two distinct groups. He, he just singles out foreigners and eunuchs. It feels like a sort of strange mixture of people for, for Isaiah to address. Would you agree? But, but let's think a little bit and talk a little bit about foreigners and eunuchs among the people of God. Uh, foreigners... As we read the Old Testament, they are given lots of rights within Israel, and they are given rights to worship with Israel, but they're not given full participation in what we would call the worship of Yahweh God. There is a court of the Gentiles in the temple, and then everyone else. If you were a foreigner, you, you could come and worship, but not quite as much. And if this wasn't necessarily God's intention, and I don't believe it was, it was certainly how things began to work out in the worship and in the life of the people of Israel. There were insiders, full participants in the worship of Yahweh God, and yet some were left on the outside, particularly foreigners, those who had come into the people of Israel from other lands, other nations, other countries. Isaiah also mentions eunuchs here. Again, eunuchs is sort of a strange kind of class of people to address, and yet Isaiah does it very specifically because there is language in the scriptures that people who are eunuchs or have maladies similar to what eunuchs go through are not afforded full participation in worship of Yahweh. They are not allowed to come into the sanctuary and bring sacrifices to God. They are called sons and daughters, or they're called people of God, and yet not quite fully. They're not able to participate fully in the worship of Yahweh God. They're not full people of God. They're just sort of the other. Maybe the language we could use that is helpful in our parlance is separate but equal. Right? You, you may be equal, like you're a value, God loves you, etc., etc., but you're not quite. You're separate. 
you have to be a part. We can't have full communion and participation with one another. And that's how it was kind of in the worship of Yahweh God. There were people who were allowed on the end and there were some who weren't. Again, I'm not sure that was God's intention with the whole thing, but that's certainly how it began to work out. That's certainly how it begins to work out even in the church post-Jesus Christ. And so when we hear about this return from exile, we see it's good news. It's worthy of, of celebration. God will bring people. God will restore people. There will be faithfulness in the land. But it's good news. Good news for who? Is it good news for everyone? Is this good news for the immigrants who are coming in? Is it good news for those who have been excluded? Well, the good news is yes, it is. The good news that Isaiah speaks about specifically says, yes, there is fidelity to, to, to worship of Yahweh. And when people come and people join themselves to Yahweh, and that's what he means by when you obey my laws, when you keep the Sabbath, that's what it means. It's those people who have come and said, we want to follow this God. We want to be a people of Yahweh. We have seen this vision of the kingdom of God that, that Yahweh brings, and we want to be a part And what Isaiah says to them is, the good news is, is this is good news for you as well. To the eunuchs, he says, right, do not say to yourself, I am just a dry tree. Right? Think of that kind of language of dry tree. Right? Worth nothing. It's there, but it's not growing. It's not helpful. I mean, the idea of a eunuch is you can't have kids. Just a dry tree, you get that mental image going there. But Isaiah says, do not say to yourselves, I am just a dry tree. I'm worthless. I am pointless in this whole people of God. But, but Isaiah says, no, you will be given a name and a monument in the temple of God. A, a name and a monument that is better than sons and daughters. The, again, think about this. These people who, who were allowed to participate but not given full inclusion because of something about their physical characteristics. Isaiah says, you are not only part of this people of God, but you are afforded full participation where you were not before. The distinctions, these dividing lines, the the things that divided one class from another, one group from another, even, even things that were physical and permanent. God says, what matters is not the physical feature, but the whole commitment to me. I read this in short as God saying, guess what? Anyone who comes to me, I will not turn away. And I will give a place within this whole community in full participation and full inclusion in the worship and the people of God. He says this to eunuchs and he says this to foreigners, right? I'm not just a dry tree. And he says to foreigners, right? You won't be left out. You won't be on the outskirts, but you will be given full participation in the whole people of God. You will be grafted in. You will be brought in. You will make sacrifices in the temple. Again, these are not small things that that Isaiah is talking about. These are not small things that God is promising. These These are ways of saying you are given. You have a place in the whole people of God. No matter what anyone else has ever told you, no matter what you think about yourself, you are 
given participation and a place in the whole people of God. Not provisional, not secondary, but full participation in the people and in the work of God. I guess as I read this, I read that there is this wideness and this expansive nature to the work of God that oftentimes, well, it goes further than we want to. I don't know if it hits you in the same way, but, but as I read this, as I hear about this, I think of the, the, the dividing lines that I like to make, the, the, the ways, the distinctions that I like to have, or the distinctions that we see in the world around us that, that seem so important. God says, my arms are open wide, and I will not turn away any who come to worship me. And God gives this good news to the outsiders, to the marginalized, to the unimportant, to those who who didn't feel that they had a place in this society. God says, no, if you come to me, if you keep my Sabbaths, when you come to me, I will not turn you away. You have a place among my people. Even saying to the fact that a eunuch will have a place greater than sons or daughters. It's not to denigrate the sons and daughters, it's to elevate the eunuch. I will give a place in my people, God says. Any who seek to follow God, God desires to embrace wholly and fully. We see this working itself out in the New Testament. It's hard still, right? It's hard still in the New Testament. We read throughout, even in Jesus' time. I mean, one of the other, gosh, texts that I read for either this week or last week was Jesus visiting the Syrophoenician woman, right? You don't take from the children and give it to the dogs when he's addressing her about healing her daughter, right? That there's still this tensions that exists, even in the Gospels, even as Jesus is working through it, even as Jesus is breaking down these barriers, there's still the tensions that we see existing. Jew, Gentile, Jew, Samaritan, right? Insider, outsider, all that stuff is going on as, as it's working out. And, and then we have the death and resurrection of Jesus and, and people are coming to Jesus and it's first among Jews. And then, and then these Gentiles are starting to come. And then, and then some people are getting worried about, well, what does it mean to be an insider and outsider? Can, can people who don't convert to Judaism become part of the whole people of God? And, and there's all these questions that are working themselves out in the New Testament. There's two particular ones that I want to address this morning as I think is instructive for us. You might be familiar of the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8 of Acts. If you're not familiar, let me give you the story. Uh, Philip, who is a deacon, becomes evangelist, is just hanging out and God says to him, hey, Philip, here's what I want you to do. There's a road in the wilderness, and I want you to go run down it. He sends him to the wilderness. He says, when you're running down the road to the wilderness, you'll run across somebody, and I want you to have a conversation. And Philip, being the dutiful disciple that Philip is, says, okay, and begins to run down the road. 
He goes to the wilderness. And as he's in the wilderness, he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch, a a member in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. And as Philip is running by, he, he, he sort of hears the eunuch reading. The eunuch is reading scripture. And lo and behold, the eunuch is reading scripture out of the book of Isaiah. And he hears the eunuch reading the words that have been come to know that the church would associate with Christ, right? Bruised for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. And Philip runs up and he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? Is this text talking about the author or about somebody else? And then Philip has the opportunity to talk about Jesus and say what Jesus did and, and the, the, the salvation of humanity in Christ and the death and the resurrection and his good news. And the Ethiopian eunuch goes, this is great news. Oh, here's a point. Did you know that the Ethiopian eunuch had just been in Jerusalem to worship? And as a eunuch, he would not have had full participation in the worship in Jerusalem. But Philip gives him this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the eunuch says, is there any reason that I shouldn't be baptized in this puddle over here? In short, the Ethiopian eunuch says, is there any reason why I shouldn't be a part of this people of God? There's lots of reasons the Ethiopian eunuch shouldn't have been part. I mean, we could list them if we go down some of the common objections. We could ask all sorts of questions about, was he worthy? Did he know what he was understanding? Did, did he have proper catechism? All that sort of stuff. He was a foreigner. He was a eunuch. What, is, what are the implications of this? If he's from Ethiopia, then is he a Jew? What happens in that moment? Philip, I believe fully led by the Spirit, says, I have no objections. Let's get you baptized. And the eunuch gets dunked. And he goes on his way. We don't know really what happened to him. We just know that he goes on his way. Presumably, he becomes an evangelist for Jesus Christ. That's what I like to think. He spreads the good news because he's going to Ethiopia. And he is a a chief in, in the court of the Candace, of the ruler of Ethiopia. So what a wonderful thing. He is given full participation. He's not a provisional member. Philip doesn't say, well, you know, let's wait a little bit. Philip says, no, you are a part. And Philip makes the decision, again, believe 100% led by the Spirit to say, you are in a part of the full people of God. There's another instance, not much beyond that, in Acts 10. You might be familiar with the story. Peter is taking a nap. Peter was a good Christian, you know, took a nap in the afternoon. It's wise, it's good. And as he's taking a nap, he has a vision. He looks up and he sees a sheet coming down out of heaven. And there's all sorts of animals on there. Some look really good to eat. Some he's not supposed to eat. And he hears the spirit and the voice from heaven say, take, kill, and eat. Peter is good. He's, he's, he's a real follower. I get him, right? I understand Peter. I don't understand Paul so much, but I understand Peter. I, like, I know his motivations. Peter says, God, you don't understand. I'm a Jew. We don't eat such things. I have never eaten anything unclean in my life. Peter sees the vision three times. And the third time he hears a voice say, do not call unclean what I have called clean. 
Now, it's not a message about what you should eat for dinner next week. Because as Peter sees the vision, hears the voice for the third time, it's taken to heaven. He is brought out of his reverie by people at the gate saying, hey, there's a guy, he's Cornelius, he's not a Jew, he's a Roman, and he's a centurion, and he wants to know if you can come talk to him. And Peter goes to the house of Cornelius the centurion. Cornelius is a foreigner. Cornelius is a, is a collaborator with the Roman government. He's a centurion. He's a soldier. He's the enemy. He is everything dangerous and scary to the people of God. Peter goes into his house and Cornelius essentially says, God told me to tell that you would talk to us about, about good stuff. I mean, that's essentially what it is. God told me to come get you. The house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. And so Peter begins to go, okay, well, we shouldn't associate with Jews. We know about that. That's so weird. And, and he begins to preach, but then he gets it. He gets that, that wait a minute, God has called this, un, this, this people who I might have called unclean, clean. And so, so I'm going to preach because this is the people of God. And so he begins to preach. And, and I love it because it, it just knocks us preachers down a peg because even before Peter's even done preaching, he hasn't gotten to the point yet. He hasn't given the great story and or the altar call. The spirit falls and just comes upon the people in the room and they receive salvation. And then they're baptized. Now these, these foreigners, these, these collaborators with the Roman Empire, these, these Romans, the enemy is, is now become a part of the full people of God. And, and as time goes on, this, this begins to cause tension in the people of God as they discuss what does it mean when God is doing all of this and they're not becoming Jews first. They're, they're, not, they're not becoming like us before God gets to them. What should we do? Do they have to become Jews first? Peter gives his message. Paul gives his message. And then the council meets. A bunch of people meet together and they say, what's good? What is God telling us in all of this? And they discern the message of God. They discern God's voice speaking to them. And and they come out of it and they say, you know, it's good to the Holy Spirit in us that we should lay no other anything on these people, that they are full participants in the people of God as long as they're not committing like sexual sins. Fornication is the word that they use. Stay away from fornication and the and food that is sacrificed to idols. That's basically it. So stay away from fornication and stay away from pagan worship. That's, that's it. But if they're coming to God, God will not turn away any who comes. And, and when we're seeing God pour out God's spirit on people who we don't think God should, that's God's business. We don't get to decide who God accepts. That's God's job. So who is this good news for? The good news that Isaiah preaches to this one people It's good news for all. It's good news for me. It's good news for you. It's good news for those who are on on the outside or on the margins thinking, do I have a place? Do I fit? Do I really fit in there? Will they really let me participate fully? It's good news because what God says is, if you come to me, I will not turn you away. God says, if you come... 
And again, it, it's basically you keep the Sabbath. It, that, that really just means submitting to the Lordship of Christ. That's really all it means. So God says, if you submit to the Lordship of Christ, the dividing wires are gone. You are afforded not simply participation, but full participation in the whole people of God. And that ought to be good news to us. Because I think the marginalized sometimes includes us. I've felt marginalized from certain parts of the church. I'm a white male, so I don't get marginalized much, but I I felt being left out, as we all have. But God promises that there is full participation for each and every one of us. And that the participation afforded me is no greater or should be no greater than the participation afforded you. Or anybody else out there who desires to submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ. So this text is good news because we are given a place in the whole people of God. You are given a place. I am given a place in the whole people of God. I don't have to sit on the outside and wonder what it's like in the inner circle. You don't have to sit on the outside and wonder what it's like in the inner circle because you are part of the full people of God. But this also calls us to sit back and ask ourselves, what dividing lines do we draw? It is sometimes in our nature to try to figure out who is in and who is out. I don't know that that's a bad trait necessarily. But we are not gatekeepers to Christ. And so I would ask us as we consider and as we think, as we celebrate the good and wonderful news that we are a part of the full people of God, To ask ourselves, I think it's appropriate, of what dividing lines might we be drawing? Maybe in our heads, it might be on paper. I don't know. Are there people out there who we might say, you can be with us, but not fully a part of us? Not until X, Y, or Z. Either formally or informally. We could ask God, help us to break down walls. Help us to break down the walls, at least the walls that we have created. So that we might proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to those who are far off and those who are near. One particularly particular story interests me as 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 a part of all of this that came to my mind as I was preparing for this today. At, at the end of, of the scripture, I, I, I'm, I misread it the first time I read it, so you may have missed it because I didn't even say it right. But Isaiah says this, I will gather still others to those I have already gathered. I will gather still others to those I have already gathered. My mind, I don't know where your mind goes, but my mind immediately went to John 10. Remember that I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. And he talks about shepherd and sheep and gates and all sorts of stuff like that. It's really awesome. 
But he says something at the end of that. He says, I have sheep who are not of this pasture who I will bring. And that strikes me in the same way as this does. That that as Isaiah is is teaching this and preaching this, or the people of God in exile or wherever are reading this going, what wonderful good news. God is bringing the exiles home. God is including the foreigners and the eunuchs. And what wonderful, good, expansive, wonderful, gracious news this is. And then Isaiah adds this thing, but there's still others. (coughs) There's still others I'm gathering to those I have already gathered. I wonder what the disciples were thinking in this good shepherd talk. Who they had in their minds as, as, as Jesus was telling them about the shepherd and the sheep. And then Jesus throws this thing in there. I have sheep of another pasture. I mean, it's crazy thoughts, right? I mean, my mind has gone all the way to other, other earths out there. I mean, that's how weird I think. But I don't think it has to go that far necessarily. But who are the people? When I think of God bringing the sheep together. There are people I think of. There is a mental image I have in my mind, and I hope there's one in yours. But Jesus continually pushes us and continually challenges us and says, there is other sheep who I'm gathering. And the question for me is, do I really believe that? That God's vision and God's imagination is so much wider than mine that there are other sheep who I haven't even thought of or who I have already dismissed, that God says, I have other sheep and I'm bringing them in. There's more than just you that I long to gather in. Am I willing to celebrate that with Jesus? And to not pretend I am not the gate, Jesus is the gate for the sheep. How can I embrace that vision? It's not groundbreaking for us to hear that eunuchs and foreigners are part of the people of God. It's not. It was to them, though. What would shock us today to hear Isaiah talk about? If Isaiah were to choose a group today or a couple groups today, who would it shock us to hear about? Those might be the very people whom God says, I have other sheep. You don't know it yet, but I'm bringing them in. Because they follow my Sabbath. They have submitted to me as Lord. Who is it Jesus is pressing us to say, we are the people of God together. Jesus is reaching out his hand to us and to others. And we can have a couple stances when it comes to this kind of language that Jesus used. We can be very defensive We can go back and justify all the people we've kept out. Or we can say much grace has been extended and we are willing to extend much grace. And that God has plans that are far bigger than mine. Last thing I want to say. When I think about this, I think the two responses are kind of like we see in parable of the prodigal son. This is a famous painting by Rembrandt about Luke 15, the prodigal son returning home. And if you look at this carefully, you see like in the foreground, there's daddy 
and his son, and they're just embracing, and it's wonderful and good. And when we're sons who have walked away and daughters who have walked away, it is wonderful to feel the embrace of God welcoming us home. But in this picture, you might notice lurking in the background is an older brother. I like to think of myself, I'd rather be the prodigal son in this story than the older brother because the son finds redemption. The brother doesn't. The brother is sitting on the outside. He's lurking in the shadows and he is going, that person shouldn't be welcome home. Do you know all my brother did? Do you know the depth of his sin? Quite frankly, I have been the older brother far more often than I've been the prodigal son. Daddy has given me all the grace in the world, and yet I am not willing to extend it. Where do we find ourselves in the story of the people of God? We ought to rightly rejoice that God has called us home and embraced us fully. Are we willing to extend that grace to others who we think are unworthy? That's a question that faces us. There's a double-edged sword to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace has been given grace upon grace upon grace. I have received it. Am I willing also to allow others to receive it? God has called us home, and God is calling us home. You are not a dry, dry tree. You are given a place and a name and a monument in the temple of God. You are part of the full people of God. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it not? But if we receive, we must admit that others are worthy to receive as well. What lines are we willing to allow God to tear down? so that we might be the full people of God, participating fully in this thing and this wonderful thing that God is doing in our world. Grace has been extended. Now let us be gracious to others as well. As we close, uh, we're going to have a, just a video to close, and it's just an opportunity for us to reflect and to pray. I hope as we hear and as we have heard today, you can celebrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been extended to you. I hope that no matter how you feel about your place in any church or in any people, that you will know that you are fully embraced and loved by the Father who welcomes you home. There are no dry trees in the people of God. There are no levels of inside and outside in the people of God. There is full inclusion in the people of God for those who have submitted themselves to Christ. For those who have received the grace that Christ has given, give, have said Christ is Lord. There is, we are all apart. There's no hierarchy in the people of God. There's no associate membership in the people of God. We are either in or out. But we are often driven, when we recognize the grace that has been given us, to consider, to consider our own, our own lives, and our own gatekeeping, so to speak, and ask, who might God be asking me 
to extend that grace to on his behalf. So let's take some time to pray, and you can sing along if you'd like, but to consider as we hear this last song.